Hey everyone, welcome to Cape Town, a superhero podcast about superhero things. This week, given the release of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, we're talking about the Snyder Cut, the long and dramatic story behind his superhero magnum opus. I do want to warn you that this story does involve a story of uh, self-harm. I know how difficult these stories can be for people who struggle with this or have lost someone to suicide. And if that's you, completely understand if you want to skip this episode. Ryan, Hannah, and I will be back next week to talk about other DC movies that we like. So there's no real precedent for the Snyder Cut, nothing to compare it to, nothing else even close to like it. The whole idea has been, uh, over the course of his existence, it's a myth, it's been a sign of vindication, it's been a sign of the end of Hollywood as we know it, it's been a retribution against a studio that did a good man dirty, and a memorial, and in the end, a very singular effort from a very unique creative person, bringing it up raises all sorts of questions and controversies, ethical and creative and financial and otherwise. But in the end, the Snyder Cut was both less and more than its biggest fans and its most strident critics predicted it would be. Less because it didn't really mark any sort of sea change in how studios respond to critics or fans. More because of who it was made for and why. So. The story of the Snyder Cut begins in 2010, when Zack Snyder was chosen to helm DC's burgeoning cinematic universe, which is now called the DCEU, or the DC Extended Universe. Snyder was already a divisive figure at that point. He'd cut his teeth with his Dawn of the Dead remake, and when and uh, he was heralded by many as a visionary for 300 and Watchmen, which were very visually distinctive, of course, and he won the hearts of a generation of comic book fans who really liked his muscular aesthetic and the slow motion shots that he's now very famous for. His next movies were The Guardians of Gahul and Sucker Punch. They didn't really do much at the box office, but he'd already caught the eye of DC Comics, who were eager to start going toe-to-toe with Marvel's own cinematic universe, which at the time was sort of in its early days. They asked Snyder to take on Superman, and he agreed. In 2013, Man of Steel was pretty divisive. It warranted a lot of accolades for some of its individual pieces like Hans Zimmer's score and Henry Cavill's biceps and a a trailer that was instantly iconic, still a very well-regarded trailer. Uh, But as a whole, the movie didn't quite land. The box office hall wasn't quite what Warner Brothers had hoped for, but it wasn't bad and Snyder was given the keys to the future of DC movies. And he immediately got to work on Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Justice. He casted Ben Affleck as Batman. He, ben Affleck, of course, a longtime comic book nerd who had already tried out on Daredevil and was eager to take on Batman. He was very excited about this, talked about it to anybody who would listen to him. And uh, he set up a superhero showdown that would set the scene for Justice League, which would be DC's answer to the Avengers. Uh, but at the Snyder household, far more important and significant things were happening than were happening on set. So Zack Snyder and his wife Deborah have eight 
kids. Two of them are from Snyder's former relationship. Uh, he's had two kids with Deborah, and then the other four are adopted. Among those adopted kids was Autumn, who Snyder adopted when she was just one year old. Autumn really took after her adopted father's love of really geeky stuff. She she loved this sort of nerdy sci-fi comics, stuff like that. Uh, the two bonded over superheroes and horror music and writing. Uh, she also spent much of her life in a struggle with depression. And then in 2017, she did take her own life. Uh, Autumn's death came in the middle of Snyder's filming of Justice League, which was his follow-up, of course, to Batman v Superman. The movie was supposed to be an early crown jewel in DC's film slate, but Warner Brothers' faith in Snyder was already getting a little bit shaky. Batman v Superman hadn't performed very well, and Warner Brothers had actually assigned some sort of studio watchdogs, including DC chief Jeff Johns, to be on set every day of filming, making sure that Snyder didn't deviate too far from a crowd-pleasing formula. They were supposed to be there to make sure that there were jokes and things like that in the script so that Snyder didn't get too far away from the stuff that had made Marvel's movies so successful. The sense behind the scenes was that Snyder's vision for DC's universe just wasn't working. Uh, Jeff Johns had started working with uh, director Joss Whedon on a Batgirl movie, and he actually started bringing Whedon over to rewrite some Justice League scenes too. Snyder has called these guys his babysitters, and he actually seems to be pretty gracious about it. He's not super mad when he talks about this in interviews. After the tragedy that befell his family, a lot of that stuff seemed pretty unimportant, obviously, to him anyway. About two months after Autumn died, Zack and Deborah Snyder officially quit Justice League. Deborah had been working alongside him as a producer. At first, having a big project like this had been something to turn to in their grief, sort of a project to get their mind off of things, but they'd also been fighting with the studio and that just proved to be too much. The PR story, the sort of public story, was that Snyder had personally asked Whedon to take over, but that's not true. DC was really excited to have Joss Whedon, who had directed Marvel's biggest movie at the time, on board for their own superhero collective show. And uh, for a lot of people, for a lot of the public, Whedon's involvement was a sign that DC was going to get things back on the right track. Now, of course, since then, Joss Whedon has been accused of a ton of abusive onset behavior, stemming all the way back to his time on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. His work on Justice League is no exception. Cast members Ray Fisher, who plays Cyborg, and Gal Gadot, who is Wonder Woman, have both gone public with very serious accusations about racism and sexism they experienced from him on set. And Whedon's attempts to save the movie failed anyway. Uh, Snyder estimates now that Whedon rewrote or reshot around three quarters of the movie, and none of it worked. It's not a good movie. Uh, Whedon's usual ear for humor totally failed him here. The character bits are just hollow, the action is really messy, the Whedon cut is just bad, and it flopped at the box office, and Joss Whedon himself probably not really going to work again in any significant way. Mm -hmm. 
After all this, Snyder moved on. Uh, there wasn't really much else he could do. He has never seen Whedon's cut of Justice League movie that failed spectacularly and outraged fans, but his bridges were never burned. One interesting thing about Snyder is that no matter how divisive his films are or your own personal take on his movies, everyone who works with him seems to genuinely like him. He treats his cast and crew with respect, his bosses with deference, he strives to meet deadlines, he's very gracious even with people who disagree with him. Uh, and, and that sort of thing breeds a lot of loyalty. And from that loyalty, the hashtag release the Snyder Cut was born. So here's Snyder's version of the story. On the day he left filming Justice League, he took a laptop that had his original cut of the movie. It was raw footage, no music, no CGI or anything like that, not even any color. He says it was in black and white. It was only a, uh, it was just sort of a, a memento for him. Now, somehow, word of that edit's existence started to spread. The legend of the Snyder Cut, which was the true, pure version of the movie that Whedon had ruined and Warner Brothers had failed, was born. Over the years, the legend grew on social media. There were billboards and banners attached to hired airplanes saying, release the Snyder Cut. Uh, the plea for a Snyder Cut grew into a frenzy, and, and not necessarily an entirely positive one. For all the fans out there who were simply asking for an original version of a movie that they cared about, there were also a lot who resorted to hostile and even really abusive tactics online, and they'd attack journalists, and they'd sort of swarm on anyone with uh, anything less than positive things to say about Snyder. And, and he's very uh, strongly disavowed, stuff like that. But the positive momentum grew louder than its negative parts. In fact, the fandom raised half a million dollars for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, uh, which means uh, this fandom has objectively done more good than almost any other fandom out there. Finally, Warner Brothers couldn't argue with it any longer. In 2019, Warner Brothers reached out to Zack Snyder with an offer. Would he like to actually release his cut? Now, their offer was actually very straightforward. They just asked him to drop whatever was on his laptop onto HBO Max. No CGI, no music. It would just be a basically a file transfer. And for Snyder, that wasn't good enough. He wanted to bring his actual vision to life with music, with special effects, and even reshoots. The whole thing ended up costing about $70 million. And the only reason that WB agreed to this was that Snyder said he would not take any money for any of it. He forewent any actual profit for his time and effort on this movie. The result is the Snyder Cut, four hours of Zack Snyder's pure, uncut, unedited vision. Uh, and, and if you have seen it or heard about it, you know that you would never mistake it for anything else or anyone else's. There's this scene early-ish on which, which sort of encapsulates Zack Snyder's vision as a whole. Uh, I say early on, it's, this is a four-hour movie, so relatively early on, where Jason Momoa, Aquaman, is walking down a pier, he takes off his shirt and he dives into the ocean. That's the entire scene. And for most filmmakers, this would over, probably be over like pretty quickly, you know, maybe they'd add in a few extra seconds to sort of leer at Momoa's abs or something but for Snyder the whole thing it, it rumbles like a like a music video it just keeps going and his camera really savors the waves of the ocean and the spray on Momoa's face and arms and every step he takes is you, you see the the his
his flanks like rippling and there's this Nordic choir on the beach who sort of materialize almost out of nowhere just to sing this little song as he gets ready to dive back into the sea and it makes no sense but it's a very crystallized vision of how Snyder sort of sees superheroes he sees them as gods to be worshipped and it's really it's very distinctive from the MCU in this regard uh, his, his whole point with a lot of his vision of superheroes is that these are not people who are just like us they exist very much above the rest of us so as a movie the snyder cut is yes superior to joss whedon's undeniably uh there's real character work around our villain steppenwolf who becomes more of a tragic figure here gadot gets a lot of time to flash her bona fides as a really naturally gifted action star uh, the cyborg story becomes really, really fleshed out. It actually becomes sort of the heart of the movie. And uh, there's also tantalizing hints to DC characters like Granny Goodness and Martian Manhunter and Darkseid. And uh, there's that long epilogue featuring not just Deathstroke, but also a post-apocalyptic future ruled by an evil Superman that features Affleck's Batman and Jared Leto's Joker in a sort of uneasy truth. It's about a, a half hour of setup for a sequel everyone knows is never going to happen. Now, opinions on the Snyder Cut are all over the map. Some critics really loved it. Uh, some fans really did too. A lot of people really hated it. Uh, whatever else happens, it seems very clear that Snyder's time with DC has come to a close. And it's, that seems to be something that pretty much everyone involved with is okay with. The fans got their Snyder Cut. DC got the movie they originally promised. And whatever the future for DC movies is, and that future isn't super clear right now, they at least got one blockbuster auteur's unadulterated vision of it. Uh, and they ought to be pretty happy about that. And Snyder himself seems genuinely content about this movie as well. Uh, happy might be a strong word, but he clearly put everything he had into this movie. And uh, he has been very frank in interviews that he made it for someone who is never going to see it. But her name's at the end, before the credits roll. It says, For Autumn. He says, Without her, this absolutely would not have happened. Given the recent and sort of sensitive nature of some of the stories on here, I don't always do this with these scripted segments, but I do want to cite where I got these from, primarily from two different pieces, uh, one long Vanity Fair profile and a Hollywood Reporter story as well. I will post links to those in the show notes for this episode if you want to go read further about Zack Snyder and Deborah and Autumn. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Cape Town. We release new episodes every week. Uh, some weeks it's just me uh, talking about a story from superhero comics history like I did today. And then other times Ryan and Hannah will join me to talk about some of the comics that we're reading and other news from the superhero content universe. You can follow us on Twitter at Cape Town Pod or on Facebook at Cape Town Podcast. Uh, and if you like what you hear, please go over and subscribe to the episode on uh, on Apple Podcasts and give us a good review as well. Those really, really do help us when we get those positive reviews and we appreciate seeing all of those as well. Uh, and if you have any, of course, requests that you'd like, uh, feel free to hit us up there and we'll see what we can do. We'll be back next week. No need for thanks, citizen. I'm Tyler Huckabee. <laughs>